Colonel Mike here. Thank you for listening once again. And thank you for all the comments on twomikes.us. That's twomikes.us. Another great podcast coming up. Enjoy. Four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. You're on with two mics, Dr. Michael Shoya, New York Times bestselling author, and Colonel Mike. And uh, we're coming down to the end of the year. We're uh, almost at the New Year's, and uh, the last couple of shows we're going to do this year. And we want to welcome back an old friend of ours who, by he's not old, he's younger than us. But uh, he, Aaron's been with us, oh gosh, I'd say when radio and all right might be about 13 years ago we had aaron on a lot during the radio days we used to play great uh, bumper music from coming in we don't do it on these shows but i wish we did and uh and we'll have aaron back today aaron Wren has not been on two mics i don't know how long i went looking and i i had to go through almost 150 shows to find the last time he was on we're almost 450 now so uh before the new year aaron Wren, welcome back to the two mics Thanks for having me on. And I hate to say it, but I'm not as young as I used to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's a common malady. <laughs> well, Aaron, it's great to have you back on. I'm glad I'm glad you'd come on before the end of the year. I read your last piece about a place called it's a really nice place called Carmel, Indiana. And I wanted to speak about that. We have not had you on because it was so great. We used to talk about cities and states and all the things that you write about. And it's it was great being on radio with us, you know, always doing those kind of shows, because at that time we started with you, you with the Manhattan Institute, you were living in Manhattan and then you moved back to Indiana, your hometown. So let's open it up however you'd like to open it up, Aaron. Uh, and we're going to put in the footnotes, his website and his new book that's out coming up and we'll mention it during the show. But Aaron Rand started off with Carmel, Indiana. What's so yeah. unique about it? Yeah, well, interesting. it's pronounced Carmel, like the biblical okay. Carmel. Apparently, there are a lot of cities in the United States uh, uh, called Carmel, and they're all pronounced Carmel, except the famous one in California, which is Carmel by the Sea. But everybody calls it Carmel, which is fine. Uh, we'll take it. Uh, but it is a suburb uh, on the north side of Indianapolis of about 100,000 people. And it is a kind of traditional upscale business suburb. Um, every uh, city of any size really has one where there's a lot of office parks and, you know, high-end housing and things of that nature. You know, there's one or more of these. What really distinguishes Carmel, though, is that it built out a lot of truly world-class innovative initiatives that have uh, landed the city in the national press and the global press uh, many times over the last several years. There's just an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, calling Carmel America's, uh, the internet's favorite small city. And it talked about people who had moved here from uh, California and from uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, and, it, and it mentioned, it called it the internet's favorite small city because Carmel regularly ends up being like the number one ranked city in the country on a number of these 
uh, rankings. It's been in The Economist, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, et cetera. And it's where uh, I moved last year. And in fact, I when I switched from uh, doing corporate consulting to starting to write about cities, at, uh, I started writing about Carmel within a month because it was really an interesting story. And so what it is, we had this guy who was the mayor. His name was Jim Brainerd. He's a Republican. Basically, Carmel is essentially 100% Republican suburb. There's one Democrat on the city council, uh, and that's basically it. Uh, but he got elected mayor and really set about shaking the thing up and you know, really worked hard to implement visionary leadership in a lot of things. Uh, the thing that Carmel's most famous for is its roundabouts. <laughs> And there are a lot of cities and towns that have roundabouts today, uh, but Carmel is one of the ones that popularized them, and it has more of them than any other city in America. So we have a hundred, over 150 roundabouts in Carmel. And what's what's amazing about that is um, there are only a handful of stoplights left in the entire city, and nice. essentially they're all slated to go away, and mm -hmm. you can drive all over town, from one side of town to the next, and never have to stop at a stoplight, never have to stop at a stop sign. And basically, yeah. it's crazy. You, you just drive around. They're amazing. Um, and uh, it's this might be the only kind of fast-growing city in America where traffic is better today than it was 20 years ago. I mean, it's actually amazing, the infrastructure. So we have great infrastructure, we have all these beautiful boulevards that he built. We have, um, you know, bike paths and trails going everywhere, essentially all the streets. You know, we vastly built out a big park system, got amazing playgrounds. And the other thing that he kind of was famous for doing was building essentially a, a downtown from scratch. Uh, unlike some of these old county seats and things like that, Carmel never really had much of a historic downtown. It had a very, very tiny uh, cluster of small homes and some old one-story buildings on a main street. It was dilapidated and falling apart. There weren't even sidewalks. And now uh, the city has really embraced in its central area sort of you know more urban style, mixed use, higher density stuff. So we've got lots of uh, apartments and restaurants and you know shops and cultural institutions that you can just, I walk to them. I, you know, I, I literally can walk almost anywhere. It's one of the most walkable places in the city. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got like a huge performing arts complex, which you can argue maybe we spent too much money on that one. Uh, but it, but it's amazing. I mean, what used to be dilapidated strip malls and old, like rusted out warehouses are now like spectacular office buildings, public plazas. Uh, it, it's, it's really incredible. Uh, what's been done uh, looks beautiful. And uh, and then, of course, there's a lot of uh, things that we have, like, you know, of course, our farmer's market, which everyone has, and our Christmas market. The Car uh, Carmel Chris Kindle market is, uh, again, regularly ranked the best Christmas market in the United States. Is that the and German kind of market? Is that like a German kind of market? It's exactly a, it's, it is an incredibly authentic reproduction, if you would say, gotcha. of a German mm -hmm. Christmas market. I mean, to the point where like some of the food uh, vendors actually do field trips to Germany to sort of perfect their recipes and make sure it tastes exactly like authentic German street nice. food, Christmas market food. And we bring artisans over from 
like a lot of the stuff that's sold there basically all comes from Central Europe, uh, Germany or like Poland or something like that. And mm -hmm. we've a lot of German artisans come over and like do do their little wood carvings and things there and sell them. And it's it's great. And so it's it's like it's it's still very suburban. Um, a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of just regular subdivisions. I, I don't want to suggest that, that it's not that. Uh, but really just you're talking about completely superb, stupendous quality of life, high functioning government, you know, and uh, it, it's really, I think, in a lot of ways what a city should be. Now, of course, obviously, it's a more upscale community and that helps. But there are plenty of those in America and, um, you know, they're not showing up as number one in the country. And so I really think that Carmel is a great model of uh, Republican governance. Of you know when a different type. Republican governments when it works, right? Is that yeah, what you're Republican saying? government when it works, and I think what's um, what's a, a little bit um, it's different. I think than a lot of traditional Republican uh, approaches, and this is where mm -hmm. I think a lot of people there's been controversy. So this mayor took over in the '90s. One of the things that uh, really helped him was that Indiana is what's called a strong mayor state. So the mayors of cities have a lot of power in some other states and cities, what they call weak mayor system. Really, the mayor is a sort of symbolic role. Mm -hmm. It's almost what they call a council manager form of government, where they hire a professional city manager and then the city council sort of sets policy. Right. I, you know, that was sort of a that was a progressive era form of government trying to get rid of corruption and the like. But it makes it hard to do things. Uh, so we had this strong mayor system and no term limit. So this guy served seven seven terms, and he didn't run for re-election, and um, he's stepping can down. Can you repeat that, Aaron? Aaron, can you repeat that? Did you say seven terms? He said he said yeah, seven terms. He, he was. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Twenty eight years, and you know, in the early days, he got a lot of flack from people. I would call it the traditional Tea Party style Republicans, which you know, kind of an honored tradition, if you will, which they did, they, what they really thought was a couple of things. One is that the government shouldn't be spending money. They're like, why are we spending money on this stuff? Uh, and secondly, that the government should not really be engaged in sort of urban planning. And it's really hard. Um, it's much, much less the case today, but I think in the past, um, you know, a lot of Republicans, and this was this is almost like a word for word quote from uh, a former mayor of Indianapolis who said, we don't need urban planning because the market will tell us what we need to build. And so this idea is we, the government should just sit back and let developers come. And the role of government is to essentially rubber stamp whatever the developers come up with. And that's happening. And that's happening in some growth cities right yeah. now uh, in the surrounding counties of D.C., Yep. Uh, such as West Virginia, uh, rural Virginia, uh, parts of southeast Pen uh, Southwest Pennsylvania, you're having the same thing where the government's just rubber stamping warehousing, uh, track homes, uh, fixed uh, subdivisions, and basically, you know, looking the other way because they get reelected. You know how that works. Right. Yeah. And so I think one thing has been different about the Carmel approach. And, you know, most of the Republicans here are now on board with this. I mean, it's become it was controversial for a while, but it's now essentially been accepted by everyone yeah. um, is, you know, we've actually invested a lot of money. And the main complaint about the about the city 
is that we have a lot of debt, which we did borrow. We do have like $1.4 billion in debt, which is a lot of money. But to put it in perspective, uh, it's only one-tenth of the per capita debt in Chicago, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's much, much less than a lot of other places. And our taxes are very low here. We actually have property tax caps in Indiana that limit uh, 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 owner-occupied housing to only 1% of the value per year. So, so let's ask housing... a question. Let's ask a question, Aaron. Yeah. A, a, an average house, let's say, let's take a number, 350, 450. How much tax would be on a house for 350 or 450? Well, it if it were a $350,000 house, then your taxes would be capped at $3,500 a year. That's not bad at all. No, no. it's half of what I pay. It's, it's half of what you pay in, um, in Illinois. Uh, well, in Northern years. Virginia, you'd probably pay seven thousand, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and again, that's that's in the state constitution that it cannot be worth. You cannot pay more than one percent of the value. Well, that's in the constitution. That's in the state constitution. That was one of the things Mitch Daniels did. And so, um, uh, you know, there's really no way that your property taxes are going to go through the roof unless your property values go up, which of course they have. I think that the average price of a house here now is over five hundred thousand mm dollars, -hmm. but the reality is, if you compared this to regions like, say, the Brentwood, Franklin, Cool Springs area and uh, outside of Nashville, uh, Williamson County, Tennessee, which would be yes, like this, yes. region, this is much cheaper. In terms, mm -hmm. of price. we're much cheaper, and um, and so I think when you look at at Carmel, Indiana, I say it. If you look at it in terms of being in a solid red state, having sort of moderate, uh, call it, you know, centrist Republican governance, sane, sane governance, maybe not as conservative as a lot of people would like, but not, you know, going crazy on the liberal stuff either. Um, price of housing, taxes, amenities, quality of life. Basically, this is the best place in the country when you add it all together. I, mean, I, I think you have I think he has much better, excuse me, Mike. I yeah. think he has much better, uh, there's much better amenities there than Brentwood and uh, Franklin. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to ask, how are your schools? Yeah, the schools are great. There was some video uh, that, uh, some TikTok video that some kids from the local high school did, like walking around our high school that went viral and got like over 10 million views. They're like, we can't <laughs> believe it. Uh it, it actually, I think a lot of people don't realize how nice the average suburban high school is. So we have a pretty good district um, here, definitely like great schools. I would not say it is, you know, as, as nationally elite or as nationally known as, say, Nutrier High School outside of Chicago on the North Shore. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very good. We actually have the largest. One of the things they made a decision many years ago that they were only going to have one high school, that we were never going to have a second high school in this place. So with 100,000 people in one high school, we have the largest high school in the state. And wow. so, um, you know, we win sports championships right and left. Like our girls swimming team is so good. They've won over 30 years in a row. And <laughs> you can't basically like some teams like that, in order to make the high school team, you actually have to plausibly be competitive at the Olympic level. Uh, mm -hmm. not just someone who could go do division one. You could be someone who could do a be a division one scholarship person and not make the team. <laughs> uh, and we've had, we've had people that are on the national team uh, coming out of, coming out of Carmel, which of course 
if you're, you know, like I grew up in a rural area where everybody had the opportunity to participate in things. It's obviously hyper-competitive here. And there's, all, there's a lot of things I don't like about high schools today. You know, so I open up my local newspaper and it's always a story about how some kid in high school has started, you know, a semi-bogus nonprofit to like, you know, help middle school students get interested in STEM careers or something like that. Because you got to burnish your resume if you want to get into like a good school. You got to like, it's so competitive now. Um, and definitely there's, um, you know, there's some woke stuff in the schools. There's no doubt about that. What basically, about the crime? What about the crime, Aaron? How's the crime? There's no crime here, basically. Okay. And, uh, you know, occasionally, occasionally there's a crime. They'll send out a, you know, uh, you know, be on the lookout for this guy, but they always catch him. Um, I think that they're, I, I know they use license plate readers and mm-hmm. I'm guessing they're using like facial recognition software, like Clearview. Because they right. catch people like crazy. There was something the other day about how some people were driving down this one road, like shooting off guns at like three in the morning. Uh-huh. And I'm like, how are they ever going to catch those guys? If they're just, you know, kind of just, yay, who's going around just firing a gun up in the air? How would you ever catch them? They literally caught them the next day. I don't know how they caught them. And wow. uh, so, but so they're they're very good. Like crime, crime is very low here. And um, it, you know, public safe public safety is excellent. Schools. Do you have a private? Do you have your own private police there? I'm sure you do, right? We have or our own marketing. police department. Yeah, so we mm-hmm. have our own police department, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's well staffed and uh, and all of that. And uh, so uh, again, um, we don't have a lot of crime. Uh, and but this isn't this is another thing you may may or may not like this, but you've probably noticed that since COVID. Everybody's been driving like maniacs. Yep. And it's yep. like crazy on the road. That's not mm-hmm. the case here because one, the police still actually enforce traffic laws here. You know, after after like George Floyd and that, there was a massive back off in enforcement. People are like, we're not going to pull over anybody. Well, here there's actually traffic enforcement. The other thing that, like that's great um, about the uh, roundabouts is, you know, when there's stoplights, people always gun it to try to make the light, right? They're right. always like, oh, I'm going to try to make it through. Well, when you have roundabouts, there's no lights. You don't have to gun it. You just go mm-hmm. and you go around them. And, it, and so there's there's a lot of things here, but it's like people still drive like normal here. It's unbelievable. Well, just outside the Beltway, uh, Mike's a little bit further down in the valley. I'm north of the valley. Just outside the Beltway, if you take uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, uh, where, where they meet, you know, Pennsylvania, Western Maryland, and Northern Virginia, um, you have people don't even have uh, good inspection stickers. They're expired by months. They may not be driving on license plates that are fresh. They're expired. And police don't even want to pull them over anymore. You ask, like, a sheriff or you ask a, a police officer, hey, I, you know, how come you guys ain't doing this stuff? You know, it's dangerous to the other people riding on interstates, you know, especially right. if the car's not inspection. And they're like, well, you know, it's really not an, you know, and they're, they're just shrugging. I'm like, well, you, you know, you're supposed to do this because if a, if a tar rod comes off or an axle comes off and three people die, you know, it had nothing to do with drunk driving oh, yeah. or drugs. It was a mechanical car. Right. So it, the problem is, you know, you're right. Ever since COVID, even the cops, the, the sheriffs, they've all changed. They're all, well, you know, when we some people may not be able to afford it. Well, they just don't drive a car, man. You know, this crap, if you're on the road 
and you're licensed or you're you have an expired uh license plate in car and your inspection stick is you know null and void you shouldn't be driving at all period you know oh yeah you know one multiple times this year it's kind of crazy there was some like national fugitive like murderer from alabama type person that was caught in carmel just because they were pulled over by the police um and nobody else was pulling pulling people over for the you know committing you know you know driving like a maniac or as you say you know they're uh you know they have two tail lights burned out and they still won't pull them over kind of thing yeah. uh yeah it's like it's like wow it's it's amazing in fact to the point where you know when i take an uber to and from the airport you know i these guys they drive a little fast let's just say on the interstate mm-hmm. when they when they get off the exit to go into carmel i always warn them you better drive the speed limit or you will get pulled over <laughs> yeah. how far a lot, of times, and a lot of times they're like yeah you know we know it's like t- they're like it's tough here so like again some people who like to drive really fast are crazy which i like to drive i basically drive the speed limit and i feel like it's like we still have sane drivers here and uh and it's not quite it's not quite Vermont, but like, you know, if I'm out like I go jogging and I'm out all the time, you know, people just literally just stop and let you cross the street at the crosswalk, you know. Well, uh, Mike, you could discuss a little bit with Aaron what it's like to be in a smaller town from outside the beltway, right? How nice yeah. it is. It's it's quite a it's quite a difference. Yeah. It's a the, the life yeah. is is slower, people are nicer. Uh you have to learn a little bit about how to we only have 7,000 people. So we, you have to learn about where the groceries are and where the restaurants are and how to do that. And some of them are pretty far afield, but uh, it's a great, it's a great place. We came here three plus years ago now. And it's oh, yeah. a, great. It's a great, great place. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Aaron, um, are you getting people who are fleeing from San Francisco and New York and other places? Is that going to be a problem? Uh, well, it's interesting that you say that. Um, we are, you know, one of the things that makes Indiana different than like Tennessee or, or, or say Indianapolis different from Nashville is a, these places in the South, Texas, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, they get a huge number of migrants from all over the country. So people from the Northeast, people from California are, are all going there. Whereas here in the Midwest, most of the people who who come here are from elsewhere in the state, elsewhere in the Midwest. Having said that, we definitely get um, people who come here from these other places, again, like California or like Austin. We particularly get a lot of people moving from Chicago. I ran oh, into yeah. a number of people who came down from Chicago during COVID because they didn't like the COVID restrictions up there. And, uh, you know, the people who move here tend to be moderate yeah. Um, much more so, uh, I think, than sort of super conservative, but generally still on the right. I mean, one thing that's interesting, we just had a mayoral election uh, for the first, you know, with a competitive election with an open seat for the first time. And so the Democrats uh, were really hoping to to turn this city blue because, you know, the, there's been this big trend in the suburbs that they're becoming bluer. And some of the demographics would be similar to like Loudoun County, Virginia, or some of those D.C. suburbs. Obviously, there's more wealth in D.C. because they're directly connected to the government spigot. Uh, but yeah. 
it's similar kind of demographics. You know, in Loudoun County voted 62% for Biden in 2020. And, um, you know, so Carmel, you know, it, it's not a huge, it's the land of kind of ne- a little bit of never Trump Republican type. They're, they're kind of turned off by, by Trump. But nevertheless, the Republican candidate won, uh, got 57% of the vote. And this was after like an incredible negative campaign. So we've, we've got a Moms for Liberty chapter here in our county. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, basically, you know, the, the Democrats are sending out all these mail, mailers that, you know, Sue Finkham, who's the Republican candidate who's going to be inaugurated here in early January, basically that she supports Hitler, that she's, a, you know, a threat <laughs> to the school. It, it's just unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable negative campaigning uh, by this guy. And, you know, Ron Klain, uh, who is the Biden's chief of staff, he's from Carmel. He grew up here. And so oh. there's a lot of national attention on this. But the Republicans, um, Republican mayor, mayoral candidate won by, she got 57% of the vote. So that's very convincing. Yeah. And um, very convincing. Not that dissimilar to the Democratic margin of victory in Indianapolis. So we're still solidly Republican. The Democrats held the one city council seat that they had. Otherwise, every other elected official that's a partisan elected official here is uh, is a Republican. And I I don't think it's inevitable at all that this place is going to go blue, especially the crazier it is. Um, I, I think as long, and this is where, like, again, a lot of the uh, harder core conservatives think these places are squishy, and they are. But I do believe that if you stay in sort of what I call the common sense center, and you Ooh, don't- that's Mike Fiverr's, that's Mike's favorite, common yeah. sense. There you go. Yeah, common sense, stay on common sense. And, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the mayor, uh, you know, should should start like doing a whole bunch of anti-woke stuff because people don't want, I mean, people up here don't want you to, to have a, an agenda around what you're against. They want you to have an agenda for what you're for. And mm-hmm. so as long as they don't go for crazy stuff, I, I think on the left or the right, I think the Republicans will stay in charge. We definitely do need some work to remind people that like every good thing in this community was created by Republicans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't think there's really been a, a, as much of a that. And so actually, my, I'm going to be writing an article for City Journal magazine. Uh, again, the magazine, the Manhattan Institute about Carmel and the and the model. You know, I think one of the things that the mayor, you've heard the term rhino, right? The, the yes. Republican the name only. Uh, this guy, Jim Brainerd, who's the mayor, he is something of what I call a rhino in name only, which is to say he's one of the very rare Republicans who talks far more liberally than he actually governed. So I'll give you an example. You know, he's like all in on climate. If you listen to him, like climate change is real. We've got to do something about climate change. He was on o- Obama's climate change advisory panel. He's on some EPA advisory board. So he's been this vo- this Republican voice at the national level about we need to do something about climate change. But if you mm-hmm. actually look at what he did, it's like, well, we're going to build bicycle trails. We're going to have like a nice downtown. He didn't do things like say, we're going to ban cars. In fact, he's very open about the fact that we need to have a place for the cars. He's like, let's put them in a parking garage. Let's not have them in a huge parking lot, but we actually have to have cars. He didn't try to ban single family only zoning. 
which is a, a thing a lot of people are trying to do. He didn't put onerous green energy mandates on the city. So basically everything that he did as mayor is something that he would have done because it was good for quality of life, even mm -hmm. if there were no green agenda. And so, yes, well, he did, you know, install some solar panels and stuff like that. And, and so I'm not saying it's a total of fake, but he's again, his approach to green has been very common sense. So, Aaron, Aaron, should we should we now move the flag from Texas and say, don't mess with Carmel? <laughs> I'm trying to I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work on that. I, I want to you know, what's, it's interesting is, um, you know, if you look at Idaho and Montana, mm -hmm. uh, I know Idaho better. But you know, there's huge numbers of people moving there from California and Washington State, right? And some from Oregon. And you think they're going to turn Idaho blue? Actually, they're turning Idaho redder. Um, yeah, that's because, why they left. That's why yeah, they left. Yeah. The people who are moving to those places are actually kind of call it harder core. They're more Claremont conservatives than the old sort of, um, you know, the old sort of milk toast red state conservative. I mean, like Indiana's Republican Party is basically, you know, they they basically exist to serve the interest of special interest, business special interest for the most part. Right. So they're very, very like sort of business. And, they're so, and, the, and the average person has sort of what I call a folk libertarianism. It's what I call get off my lawn conservatism. So they're reflexively against things like, um, uh, you know, they're, they're reflexively against things like COVID shutdowns. On the mm -hmm. other hand, they're not interested in questioning like Reaganite policies, like, oh, maybe we should have different trade policies mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. And so I think, and so Idaho was sort of very much like the same mold, but now these people coming from California, they're like, we need to build a wall. We need to really run the lefties out of here. And so I, I think that migration does not necessarily inevitably mean that you turn left. I think people look at Colorado where that very much was the case and think that's the inevitable path. And mm -hmm. that can easily, that could happen in a Georgia, let's say, or even in North Carolina. But like right now, even in Texas. Well, it's people, happening in Virginia. It's yeah. happening in Virginia. Northern Virginia is all like that now. Yeah. But I'll say like in Texas, the people who are moving to Texas are more conservative than the people who are native Texans. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so Indiana is very solidly red. That's one of the, that's one reason this you know, I've had a couple people from California uh, whose names you would know if I if I said them, who are kicking the tires on retiring in Carmel. And nice. I know this um, this one like super activist um, guy on school stuff. He came from the Bay Area. And they're one of the reasons they're looking at it. They're like, look, this is a solid red state. It's not going to turn blue. You know, California migrants are not going to turn Indiana blue anytime soon. And if you look at the demographic projections, I mean, demographically it's it's probably going to stay uh stay basically republican that's not to are, say there could let me ask you this question are the california and other other places out west let's say oregon washington state are they moving to other places besides where you live i mean outside of that area other places in indiana well uh, not in indiana like, most of them are going to like texas or they're going to idaho you mm -hmm. know I'm not going to suggest there's a huge number of people coming to Indiana by any means. Again, mm -hmm. the Midwest tends not to attract that many people from outside the region. Right. Um, but to the extent that they're coming to Indiana, they're mostly coming to Indianapolis. Now, having said that, uh, 
you may have actually seen some writing about that. There was this uh, tattoo artist from Los Angeles, Kat Von D, or whatever her name was. She um, uh, she was very well known. She bought a house in this small town. She bought a mansion in this small town called Vivi on the Ohio River in far southern Indiana, and apparently really moved there. And uh, then she seems to have become a Christian and was like baptized. And she was just on the Allie Beth Stuckey podcast. Mm -hmm. And so so she ended up moving from L.A., this sort of like hip tattoo artist, you know, person moved from like from like L.A. to southern Indiana. So I'm sure there's there, there's some uh, there. Um, but, I, you know, mostly most of the you know, most of the activity in the state is really happening in the Indianapolis area. I see. Um, because, you know, it's it, it, people like the small towns, but they also like being able to get to the airport. They like, you know, being able to go to all the stores and having the health care options and things of that nature. And so. Um, well, you mentioned uh, Loudoun County before, and I don't know if you've noticed uh, or, or read lately, but it's now like data central. I mean, there are I, you know, going to the airport the last few months, I've traveled in different states, the. It's about three to five miles of data centers they're building, Aaron, outside mm. of Dulles Airport. I mean, Loudoun County is going to be like overrun by data centers. And it's now stretching and reaching into Prince William County south of it, which, uh, again, it's right near the famous battlefield, the, the uh, Manassas battlefield. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of stretch about that. Again, it's but it's because. They have mixed councils. Uh, what, what do they call them there, Mike, again? Um, uh, county uh, county commissioners, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, instead of a city council, they call it, you know, a board, yeah. county board. So you don't have a mayor, you have a chairman of the board, and then you have the, the board of supervisors, they call them. And they voted uh, on this new issue to have like four or five major data centers right outside the the sacred battlefield of Manassas. Now, years ago, Disney tried to buy up all the property around it and create Disney America with front groups, you know, shell companies. And that went down the pike and they had to wind up selling the land. But you see, this is what happens. You know, they vote and this is mixed. I mean, this is Republican and Democrat government, you know, running the counties. And <clears throat> when I drove, it was three miles, three miles. You could see data centers left and right, Aaron going yeah. to Dulles Airport. It was amazing. The Go thing ahead, about Mike. these data centers, and these data centers don't employ anybody. They're almost right. entirely automated operations. Yes. And if they're coming to your, to, so they're not big job generators. Secondly, they're not paying much in the way of taxes either. Because if they're locating in your town, you can be sure that it's because they received massive tax subsidies. That's what they got, yeah. To, to do that. And the energy, the energy... Yeah. You go look at that. If that thing's down two seconds, okay, on top of them, there's these big, tremendous diesel energy oh, yeah, uh, yeah. generators with these exhaust pipes that are the size of like, uh, you know, sewer pipes, you know, right. uh, and, and you say to yourself, so if this thing clicks down one second, two seconds, they have to go on. And how right. are they operating? Are they operating on kerosene, diesel, whatever? Probably diesel, you it's know, diesel. but they talk about green energy, right? <laughs> Well, hopefully that doesn't happen very often. But I think the same thing is true of warehouses. You know, they're putting in warehouses right and left all over here. Now, in Indiana, they, they call the state the crossroads of America. 
we actually have eight interstates coming in in and out of Indianapolis. It's it is a crossroads. It, yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I think we have as many interstates. Maybe Dallas has more, uh, but you know, similar to Atlanta, massive amount of. Uh, it's good for distribution, so we are going to have them. But like, they come in here, and they all get like massive tax abatements, so they're hardly paying anything, and then they're all, they're often put into special. Um, taxing districts, TIF districts, if you're familiar with tax increment financing, so that all the money is actually captured to go into other, you know, uh, you know, often um, infrastructure for the very uh, office uh, industrial park where it's located. So it's not really like even providing that much tax revenue. So right, right. And the jobs candidly aren't that great. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, I think they're, they're a little, you know, we're way too, you know, we, we should be asking, like, are some of these things really what we need, um, you know, in our town? Now, we don't, you know, in, in Carmel, we don't have any of the, those uses, you know, because the land's too expensive. We have mostly office space. It would be, you know, um, it's not as dense as Arlington, but, you know, it'd be similar to like, you know, nobody wants to uh, build a bunch of huge warehouses there, most likely. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing, though, I should mention that we also did here. In Carmel, we don't have we don't have any billboards. Billboards are not allowed. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of things that are like you know you go to the average town in Indiana and it's like both sides of the highway are aligned with like billboard after billboard after billboard and uh, we don't we don't allow them here. <laughs> Mike, Aaron, you had, have you had any problem with uh, Mayorkas or uh, Biden trying to deliver you some uh, illegal aliens? <laughs> You know, um, we um, certainly have uh, growing uh, diversity in our town and our schools. Um, surprising amount of ESL students, um, but the people who move here are people who are legally in the country. You know, I mean, I, I, am I saying that there are no illegal um, illegal aliens or um, these paroled migrants in our city? There may be some. But it's it's much more again it's much more like Loudoun County it's yeah. you know East Asian or South Asian professionals, yeah. um, and so um, yeah it'd be, it'd be hard to afford to live there exactly right right and so we got you know and we got you know again every every diverse demographic you can think of is mm -hmm. growing here, but it's it's you know it's it's too expensive it's not it's it's cheap by the standards of uh, the rest of the country. But by the standards of you know Indiana, it's more expensive, um, and so we don't we don't have um, as many of those uh, as many migrants. Now Indianapolis itself, the city of Indianapolis, uh, has huge numbers of immigrants. Every time I turn around, there's another group of people I had no idea uh, that had any substantial presence here. And there's you know there's an article in the paper about how there's ten thousand of them and they're now building a community center. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure there. Are Quite a few, um, quite a few uh, of these paroled migrants here in Indy. But again, probably overwhelmingly uh, people who are here illegally. We had a lot of um, refugees from uh, Burma, I guess Myanmar now. Um, so there was one of these groups here, the Chin, um, who are. Oh, I mean, yeah, these are the ethnic, ethnic minorities, the Chin, the Korean. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. And I, and I think they're mostly Christians. Actually. Yeah, yeah. And, In fact, um, the only thing that's going to come out negative out of that community yeah. is uh, you're going to get these uh, these uh, what do you call those 
sushi shops. <laughs> I mean, they're going to open up <laughs> in front of them. All right, their food. Their food is okay. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not a big uh, Burmese food guy. You know, uh, because I spent a lot of time out in Southeast Asia, Aaron. But they're very nice people. They're very hardworking people. Yeah. I worked with the Karen. I know the Chin, the Wa, yeah. uh, the Karenis. There's there's great people, and a lot of them, like you say, they are Christian. Uh, but they they're animist and Buddhist too involved. But for the most part, they're escaping persecution. So God bless yeah. them. Yeah, and they're you know they're all here legally, and we have the we have the largest Burmese popu- uh, population in the in the country. And so, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, they used so, to be Minnesota uh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of different, and again, a lot of different groups here, uh, more, more than you'd think. We have a uh, we have a, a very large Sikh community here uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and a lot of them uh, actually came from California, and they were truck drivers. A lot of uh, Sikhs are apparently work as truck drivers. Yeah, and- the new the new generation. You're right. The new generation. I see this on interstates. Yeah. A lot of them are Sikhs, and some of them even have yeah. the word Sikh or the name Sikh on these tractor trailers. You see them. Yeah. It's the it's the next generation of tractor trailer drivers in America. Yes. Right. Well, when you're in the crossroads of America, where you have all of these you know, warehouses and there's tons of trucking and distribution. There's a lot of work here. And then again, a lot of them, I think we're living like in places like Sacramento, Mm -hmm. they drove through Indiana and they're like, what? You can get a price, a house for how much? You know, and like, so it's so cheap. You you can actually, if you're a truck driver, you can live like a a solid middle-class life in Indiana in a way that you can't in California. So like Mm -hmm. the Sikh, the national uh, Sikh truck driving Industry Association is based here in Indianapolis. Cool. Very we've cool. got a number of, uh, uh, I can't remember what they call them, but the, the Sikh temples are here too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's like a, a lot of people, you know, uh, there are a lot of people here from from all different sorts um, of places. Um, it's still, you know, regionally, it's it's not as diverse as say a Houston, uh, but more than you might think. You know, we've got, we've got a lot of, we got a lot of immigrants here. But I think you know, by and large, predominantly, um, predominantly legal. Mm-hmm. Aaron, Good for you. Good for you. Tell us a little bit about your book before we go. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so this is a little bit of a different, uh, a little bit of a different, different story. As I said, I had sort of three careers. I worked in corporate consulting, then I sort of pivoted into urban policy. I was with the Manhattan Institute, and um, that's where sort of we cross paths. And I still do a little bit of that today, uh, as we're talking about. But then. Um, I sort of uh, pivoted again and focused much more on um, the, I call it the intersection of the future of the evangelical church with sort of the challenges facing American men. I really got interested in this topic because I saw so many men turning to people like Andrew Tate, (laughs) you know, for example, or Jordan Peterson is a little more uh, anodyne, but they're not turning to the church and they're not turning to traditional authorities. And I saw this, you know, a decade ago, as these influencers started to to uh, bubble up on the internet, and so I really wanted to engage on that issue and really help the evangelical church better reach and help men, uh, and provide a little competition for for some of these pickup artists and the like in a yeah. more healthy way. And then I wrote an I wrote an article in First Things magazine uh, in 2022 uh, called "The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism," which turned out to be maybe the most popular article in the history of the magazine. And it's, it was about how um, society's views of, of 
of Christianity have evolved since the 1960s, where it started out kind of uh, viewing Christianity positively. Yes. Uh, but then as kind of Christianity declined, it's, it reached a point in, say, 94, where it no longer viewed Christianity positively, but not really negatively yet either. I call it the neutral world. It's just kind of one more flavor of lifestyle choice among many. But then in 2014, we had a second tipping point, and we enter what I call the negative world which for the first time in the 400-year history of America, essentially sort of official elite culture views Christianity negatively, rejects Christian moral values, and in fact sort of views them as the new threat to the new public moral order. And uh, so, uh, and, and I can that kind of also explain like why there's all this conflict within the evangelical world today. And so I turn that into a book it's called Life in the Negative World, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. Uh, it's with uh, the evangelical publishing house Zondervan, which is part of HarperCollins. Harper comes out on January 30th. And if you want to understand the culture and how it views religion and understand the trends that are going on in the, in the uh, evangelical church and trying to understand that, this is the book for you. <laughs> good, good. All right, so Thank when you. it comes out, you'll come back on. That sounded good. And, uh, you know, I think we're moral rot at this point. You know, we're pretty much, if you want to go by 60 standard to now, you know, I would say we were, let's say, uh, 90 10. Now we're 90 10, the opposite direction. I mean, uh, people don't even want to hear about religion. I mean, and the people who are, are basically uh, followers of the faith, you know, they've just wilted like uh, bad lettuce, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a difficult time. And, um, it, you know, it causes people to have to rethink a lot of things. Uh, you know, for example, uh, I use the example of, uh, you know, Roe versus Wade and the anti-abortion movement. You know, mm -hmm. basically that for decades that was focused, okay, we got to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now it's overturned. But what we see is that the majority of the public actually wants abortion to be legal. And yes. so, yes. you know, what do you do in that situation when, well, then it goes back to states' rights. But then again, you have to preach. And I'm not a preacher, but I'm just saying in my point of view, you have to say, well, this is a culture of death. There's no such thing as a choice. It's either pro-life, pro-death. And I understand, you know, what if the mother's life's in danger, rape, things like this. I, I take all that into consideration. And that's a family moment. That's between a husband and a wife. You know what I mean? That's between a family to make that decision. And, you know, you got to go to states' rights, and if states say, "Well, this is the story," then the family has to decide what to do. I mean, you're going to have to talk to your pastor, your priest, or whoever your religious leader is, pray about it. Again, we as outsiders who are not in that family cannot make that decision, right? That's between you, yeah. God, and you know whatever. So, you know, there's a lot of different elements, but I think at this point, just going into 2024 election, okay. It's a dead. It's a dead issue. If they're going to win hands down, because you see what happened with Supreme Court, just say, "Hey, look, we're out of that." You know, and you know that's a family issue. That's a states' rights issue. Whatever. Uh, we're going to concentrate on getting the country back on track. Now, to make matters worse, Aaron, I don't know if you're aware of it. Uh, it was popped up in the press. Kellyanne Conway. Can I repeat that? Kellyanne Conway is going to take a strategic position on handling the uh, abortion issue, you mm -hmm. know? 
Kelly and Conway. That's the term. Third time I'll say it. I would rather get uh, X, you know, blank name in there. Huh. But of all, I don't even want to see. This is like Carl Rove. I never want to see these people the rest of my life on TV talking about Republicans and po- uh, politicians and you know Fox News crap. It's just ridiculous. You know, you know this is Camden Kelly. Or did she come from Camden, New Jersey? It's either that or the other shithole partner, excuse me, in New Jersey. But, you know, like you're going to have this lady come on. I mean, get somebody that's a little bit more conservative, you know, a little bit more polished to speak about the issue. But this is where Republicans are. You know, sometimes they get on a merry-go-round and then when they get off the merry-go-round, they still think they're on a merry-go-round, you know, their head's spinning. So, uh, again, again, it's an issue that's not going to play well. Uh, They're going to have to think it out strategically. Uh, you're going to die on that hill. And, you know, listen, like I say, it's between the, the husband, the wife, the family and their religious advisor. You know, what do we do? And uh, if you live in one of those states where it's against the law, maybe you have to take a visit somewhere else. Just like these people who want abortion, they're going to go to another state. You know what I mean? So uh, that's a God issue. OK, uh, we're not we're not pro death people and uh, we're pro life people. But again, we're not the ones in that position that have to face whatever that crisis or whatever it may be uh, comes before these people. Aaron Wren, it was so great having you back, man. Say the last words. You got it. Thank you. Well, all I got to say is if you are a you know sane, conservative person, uh, you should consider moving to Carmel. If you're like this. <laughs> I'm recruiting. I am recruiting people to make sure this place stays nice and solid red for the long term. And, uh, there you go. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. It's been great speaking to you. Come back when the book comes out and uh, it's been a long time. We'd like to see you come back more often. Appreciate it. Yep. All righty, sir. Keep have a well, great uh, 2024 gents. Thank yeah. You. Have a happy new year, Aaron.